Welcome to your new favorite podcast, OMLS, with your host, Aryaman Varma. Here, Aryaman chats with religious leaders, economists, and modern philosophers to help shine a light on the dark corners of economics and religion. So without any further ado, let's kick off this episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of OMLS. I'm your host, Aryaman Varma, and today we have the privilege of hosting a true luminary in the world of business and corporate governance. She's the author of Behind Boardroom Doors and Be Board Ready, a seasoned board member of companies like Volvo and Rin Resorts and the CEO of Baja Corporation. With a career spanning decades, she brings a wealth of knowledge and insights to the table. Please join me in welcoming the remarkable Betsy Atkins. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Thank you. Right. To get started then. Could you please share your journey and background and how that has led you to where you now are? With pleasure. I got out of university and got my first role at a very large American global corporation named General Electric, which is an industrial company like Siemens or uh, Schneider or Honeywell. And I soon found that I was definitely not a good fit for a big corporation and I should go be an entrepreneur. So uh, I was fortunate enough to look around and find the tech industry, which was really in the early days, if you can imagine, before the Internet, sure. before mobile. And so it was terrific to join the industry back then. And it was, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you hit the right industry. And so I think the journey became, you know, just began in the tech industry and took off from there. Right. And you mentioned um, that working in a big company wasn't something that really suited you. Why was that? And what was it about entrepreneurship that appealed to you? In a big company, you're given a very small role and lots of rules and lots of process. And big companies tend to be, for me, um, about staying in the swim lane, which is narrowly defined, not on achieving the outcomes. And uh, I found it was very, very frustrating to not be focused on the customer, on the market, on the outcomes and doing the right thing, uh, because in a large company, there are so many different silos and departments and organizations right. that break things down too narrowly. So it just, it, it was too limiting for me. Sure. And you've obviously served on the boards of numerous impressive companies like Volvo and Win Resorts. What do you think are the key principles or essentials that make for a successful board member? So, you know, I've actually served now on 39 public boards, Amazing. which I guess in America is the highest number. <laughs> and uh, so that's my dubious distinction. <laughs> and uh, what I've learned, because I've been a CEO three times and I've had boards of directors, I've kind of learned what it was not a good experience to be on the receiving end as an entrepreneur and as a CEO. So I thought that you could do a different model of governance where you actually came with the philosophy of how can you add value to the corporation? How can you be an asset 
or an accelerant for the corporation? How can you uh, mentor and support the CEO and the leadership team and help right. them upskill? Not just do the oversight. You know, there's uh, a lot of corporate process and governance of your three committees, your uh, nominating and governance committee, your compensation and your audit committee. And that's kind of like brushing your corporate teeth. Sure. But that's not why you're there. You need good hygiene. You're there to move the business forward. Right. Yeah, of course. And I'm sure you've had many challenges along the way. Could you describe a particularly difficult experience for you and how you overcame and learned from it? Uh, you know, everybody who has the blessing of common sense kind of knows when something is right and when something is wrong. And you kind of feel it in the, you know, in your stomach and your nose alarm goes off. This right. doesn't seem right. So, um, uh, out of 39, I thought this was sort of a strange statistical phenomenon that actually I have witnessed three boardroom Machiavellian assassination. <laughs> What's that? Okay, this is when somebody who's a board member, who was probably a retired public CEO, in all circumstances this was the case, doesn't want to be retired anymore. He's sick of playing golf, and he thinks he could do a better job, and he wants the gig. So he you know, creates this assassination to remove the CEO, and lo and behold, installed himself. <laughs> happened to be men, and all three times it happened to be men, but that's true of most boards <laughs> because, you know, statistically it's just true. So anyhow, the first two times they got over on me, I'm like, ah, oh, he wants that job himself. Look at him. He's taking out the CEO and he's the beneficiary. The third time I, I smelled it early enough and I recognized it. So, um, I said to my colleagues, since I was the governance chair, uh, you know, that there was some questionable behavior about the CEO raised by the person who wanted the, the role. Yeah, sure. Um, and, um, I said, you know, we're, we'll do the investigation and the special committee will be appointed to look into the allegations against the CEO. However, we will all hold hands in advance before we start the process. And we will all agree that none of us will be taking this role because we would be conflicted. It would be self-interest. And so that took all of the steam out of the assassination plot. Uh, but, you know, it, it takes a while to get quick enough on your feet because, you know, there's no real book. You know, mine's only a partial primer. Uh, on what goes wrong in the boardroom, uh, because everything is fine till something goes wrong. And then you really need people with a lot of scar tissue and kind of pattern recognition. Like, how do I navigate through this? And, um, so, you know, it took me the third time before I got wise on the assassinations that can happen. Sure. And talking about pattern recognition, what are some of the critical challenges uh, that ethical companies, especially in the tech sector, face today as technology continues to rapidly evolve? Well, I think the ethical questions are are coming to the forefront now with the use of data. So, you know, data sovereignty, can we move, you know, your data or my data from Germany to England to China to the U.S. So there's data sovereignty where it's allowed to be. Uh, there is, you know, uh, the um, 
ethics in your artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithm. Let's say I'm a bank and I'm giving loans. I certainly want my loans to be paid back. So I don't want to give loans in an area where there's a high default. On the other hand, I don't want to discriminate against uh, underrepresented people who may be black or brown and are in the concentration of the geography, the little part of the city or town where there's a high default rate. So yeah. how do you make sure that your that your algorithm isn't moving? You would have create to discriminate, but it it machine learning algos keep doing what is successful and they're you know, that's the whole point of it to, you know, like personalization to show you the next TV show that you really like based on all the other ones or give out the loan to the highest likelihood of repayment. And so it, algorithms drift. So AI ethics is an issue um, and privacy of your data is an issue. Uh, can you sell it without my consent? There's new regulations being put in place. So I think there's so much around data sovereignty, data ethics, and data privacy. Um, and I, I think that's only going to continue. And then when you imagine using generative AI, sure. where you have at least a 40% hallucination factor and, uh, you know, the spoofing, the theft of identities. So there's a, just a ton around use of data, who owns the data, how you monetize the data. Of course. And on the note of diversity and inclusion, thinking back to the Medici effect, what are your thoughts on the importance of diversity in corporate leadership? Well, I'm going to give you a completely different answer than you expect. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I think that diversity is done wrong now. Now we're doing diversity on checkbox. Uh, I'm missing uh, this underrepresented group of people from this ethnic background. I'm missing uh, this um, sexual orientation group. Right. It shouldn't be on that. What you are looking to have is diversity of thought. So you actually want, in my opinion, diversity of age cohort and global nationality cohort because everybody who is a big company and even a small company you're not doing business as a company in the uk just in the uk you're doing it in europe you're doing it in the middle east you're doing it in asia in china in america and latin sure. america so you need global diversity in terms of those markets that perspective you need you know, I'm on the board of Wynn Resorts. It's a casino in Las Vegas. Right. And we have loads of customers who are baby boomers. And we have a bunch of Gen X, but we don't have enough millennials. And we certainly don't have Gen Z. And that's the future cohort. So we just brought on uh, a director who's in his 30s. So diversity is you get a better decision when people have different viewpoints. And if everybody is the same age bracket or went to the same prep schools, but they happen to be black, brown, yellow, and white, but they all went to prep schools and they all went to university, that's really not very diverse. It's all the same economics and they're all from, you know, one nationality, America or whatever. So diversity, you're looking for different thoughts because what you want to do is you want to see different opportunities. So when something is discussed, you want people to say, no, no, I think you're missing this. And what about that? And 
Plus, you want people to see different risks, so different opportunities and different risks. You know, if you do this, it's not going to resonate. You're going to offend this demographic. You're going to offend this cohort. So the purpose of diversity is to have the best decisions, and diversity has to truly be uh, socioeconomic diversity, blue-collar, uh, white-collar. It has to be um age diversity it has to be different nationalities different genders you know that's what we're looking for for good decision making sure i think that's an important distinction to make between diversity for diversity's sake and diversity for growth um but you've been thoroughly involved in various early stage tech investments how do you actually evaluate potential investments in tech companies is there a criteria of some sort there is so for every entrepreneur you're, you're not going to like this. Um, do not bring a business plan to anyone and don't even waste your time until you spoke to 25 customers. You have to do your homework. Pick up the phone, cold call, knock on doors and go and see if your idea for a product or a service is going to resonate with the customer because the mistake that entrepreneurs make is they have a great idea and it's some minor little iteration uh, on, you know, a missed um, gap in, in the product or services that are out there. But you don't know if your view of this, you know, gap filling new product is actually going to be significant enough that someone's going to write you a check and spend money. And you don't know if how you're positioning the feature or the uh, benefit is going to resonate until you actually talk to somebody. So don't do the market research on, you know, looking on the web. Right. That doesn't mean anything. The, you know, that's like, yeah, okay, that's, you know, so fundamental. You have to go out and actually talk to people and nobody wants to do that and nobody ever does that. And if you want to actually be successful, go and do that and you'll find out that your product or your service probably has to shift at least 50%, but at least you'll be hitting a bullseye where somebody would be interested. Sure, sure. I think it's, yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. And I don't think enough people have the courage to really go out and ask. Um, but Given your extensive expertise in corporate governance, could you please share some insights on the importance of effective governance on the success of companies? So I think governance has to match the stage of the company. So, for example, if you're doing zero to five million, the first five million, you want people who have actually done that journey, who have been an entrepreneur from zero, from idea to the first five million right. pounds. And then you want somebody for the next stage of the journey who's maybe done 10 million pounds to 75 million pounds. That's a very different company where you're changing management, you're putting in more processes, more infrastructure. And then, you know, from the 100 million to 300 million. So your governance should map to the stage of your company's maturity and the profile of people you bring on. And you should build your governance model with that in mind so that people don't join the board forever. They join for a leg of the journey. Right. Okay. Uh, and in your book, talking about boards again, Be Board Ready, you provide guidance for those aspiring to become successful in serving corporate boards. 
if you could share only one piece of advice, and I know that's going to be quite difficult, but only one piece of advice from that book, what would it be? Be sure you have figured out a compelling reason of how you're going to add value and how you're going to move this company forward. What is it that your perspective is going to bring to help the business in a meaningful and measurable way? Are you going to use your relationship capital to facilitate introductions? Are you going to use your technical uh, knowledge to help with industry insights on the product design roadmap? Uh, are you going to help forward build the, the CEO uh, capability? So why do they want you? What are you going to bring? Not because you want to do it. What are they going to get from you doing it? Why should it be you that we pick, essentially? Um, but in Behind Boardroom Doors, you write about the evolving role of boards in today's rapidly challenging business landscape. How do you think boards must adapt to meet the challenges of today's society? You know, I think that one of the big challenges are the expectations of your different new cohorts of workers. So, for example, in the U.S., you know, and, and this happened specifically in the COVID uh, period, um, our new Gen Z and millennial uh, work uh, cohort want a corporation to take a stand on political and social topics. And that's a new phenomenon. And so I think um, what management needs to do is to include all of the cohorts in the company in their thinking on what is the policy on when we will speak, why we will speak, why, why is our voice important on this topic, uh, what will our customers think? What will our investors think? What will our suppliers think? Sure. Because there's a very uh, noisy push from inside the company to take a position. And you have to think about what is the right role of a corporation? You know, if you really want to make political statements, maybe you should go into politics because political situations in every country around the world are pretty polarized and if you say something to make one group happy you're going to offend another sure, group and isn't your role to unify your workforce and unify your customers not to find uh, a way that some of them feel left out so uh, i think that those are some of the you know kinds of things that are happening in today's boardroom that uh you know would be topical for you know deliberate discussion Right. And is there a project or initiative that you are currently uh, working on and uh, extremely passionate about? If so, please, could you tell us more about it? Um, I think the thing I'm most interested in now is uh, finding ways that we involve younger, new um, entrepreneurs into established boards because if you look across you know uh, any cross-section of boards they tend to not have representation from our gen z and millennial cohorts and, and i think that's a big opportunity uh and i think there's a lot of mentoring up and mentoring down uh that needs to happen right and being on 39 boards must 
take its toll. So on a more personal note, what kind of habits or routines do you have that helps you balance your personal and, and work life? I think balance is overrated. If you want to be successful, you got to work hard. <laughs> and, you know, balance is some nice aspirational thing. It's like when you're a little kid and say, oh, that's not fair. Hey, the world's not fair. I think you have to do work-life integration. So personal work habits, put in 10, 12 hours if you want to be successful. Eight hours doesn't cut it. Right. You know, if you want to do eight hours, be an hourly worker somewhere. If you want to be a professional, you know, you got to invest your time. Sure. I think I think that's a good uh, wake up call for uh, our listeners as well. <laughs> Finally, what advice would you give to eager entrepreneurs and individuals who aim to make an impact in the business world? Always do more than expected. Always surprise people with how incredibly reliable you are. The thing that people look for when they build a team and when they look at your talent is will you do what you say always if you're not going to get it done will you tell me in advance surprising is only good on somebody's birthday everybody hates surprises <laughs> fess up and own it if you're not going to get it done or you hit a roadblock don't you know do some half done thing at the end so i think the key is always be extraordinarily reliable you know you all know when you look at the people in your life who is it you always go to that always if they say they're going to do it it always gets done you know that person in your life you want to be that person sure uh and there you have it folks a truly enriching conversation with the one and only betsy atkins her wisdom on corporate governance, early stage investments, and the evolving role of boards is invaluable. If you'd like to learn more about Betsy's work, please be sure to check out her books, Behind Boardroom Doors, and Be Board Ready. You can also find her insights in various publications as well as on her website. As always, a big thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your network. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the OMLS podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.